Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. On today's episode, we're going to talk about testing for the thyroid. And we're going to talk about how the mistakes that are made by conventional allopathically trained doctors can be putting your patients and clients in danger, not just because it's overlooking things, but because it's going down maybe the wrong path in helping people. So I'm going to start with going through the complete thyroid panel, the tests that test the complete thyroid function, not just the gland itself, but the function. Then we're going to look at some of the peripheral types of tests that need to be done to see what other things are contributing. Like we talked about in our first episode, where we talked a lot about the cell danger response, some of these other tests are going to help us to see how at risk and at peril those are. So let's start with good old TSH. TSH is being considered the gold standard for testing for thyroid function. And the way it's taught in medical school is that to test TSH, if it's high, higher than the quote unquote normal range. And funny thing is the normal range on most of the labs is somewhere between like one and five, one and 4.5. But in reality, a lot of docs are taught, well, if it doesn't get above 10, don't worry about it. So that's kind of a wide range, but let's just assume that even within that five range, we know from studies that look at optimal ranges that it really should be three or below. So they're missing people who actually do have overt thyroid issues with the TSH being off, but they're also using the wrong test so that TSH alone cannot detect what's happening in the thyroid and also inside the cells, like how much is reaching the cells. So TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, is produced by the pituitary gland, and it's intended to wake the thyroid up and say, hey, we need more hormone. So the pituitary and the hypothalamus are detecting how much thyroid hormone is in the blood and then deciding to send a signal to the thyroid to increase or decrease production of the thyroid hormone. So the conventional range is 0.3 to 5.7. Some labs have it as 4.7. Five, some people go as, as high as one. But the ideal range is somewhere between 1.5 and 3. And that's what the Endocrinology Association says. In reality, a lot of other studies have shown that really ideal is somewhere between 1 and 2.5. So TSH, is it a good number? Sure. It tells us how well the thyroid is responding to the pituitary signals, how well the pituitary is actually signaling it. But a lot of times when TSH is out of balance, it's not a thyroid problem. It actually could be a pituitary or hypothalamus problem. So the way that it's conventionally done is test the TSH. If it's out of range, then test the TF4, the free T4. And if the T4 is within normal range, then we ignore it. I mean, not we as functional practitioners, but allopathic. They're told, okay, you can ignore it. Just check it again. And when the T4 goes abnormal, then you okay to treat this as a thyroid problem. In reality, 
you can have absolutely normal TSH and poor thyroid function and symptoms as we see. And we talked about a lot in our first episode in this series. So T4, I believe that we need to test both total T4 and free T4. And a lot of doctors and a lot of labs don't agree with me on that. But hear me out. Total T4 is the amount of hormone, the T4, that's produced by the thyroid gland. The free T4 is the active form after we've taken off the thyroid binding globulin or albumin or globulin. There's other things that can bind it, but mostly it's thyroid binding globulin. So when we look at total T4, it tells us what's the capacity, how much is the thyroid actually producing. And then when we look at the ratio between total T4 and free T4, we get an idea of the binding globulin status. Do we have too much binding globulin? In which case the ratio is off and and we have higher total, but the free is very low? Or do we have too little thyroid binding globulin and we see a high number at the free T4? These are important things to be evaluating when we want to look functionally. So that's the deal with T4. Really want to get total T4 and free T4 to get a full picture of what's going on functionally. We also want to look at T3. Now, I'm not adamant that we need to get a total T3 because that's not as important as looking at the free T3. When we look at the ratio between free T4 and free T3, there's a specific ratio we want that to be in. If the free T4 is super high and the free T3 is low, then we have a conversion issue. We're not converting from T4 to T3 as adequately as we should. When we have the opposite, where the free T3 is very high and the free T4 is low, then we're over converting. And those can indicate other problems in the system, problems with other hormonal systems. So we'll talk about that in more detail. Free T3 is the active form that needs to get into the cell, that needs to activate those receptors and make action in the cell. When free T3 is too low, people can experience things like hypothyroid symptoms. Even if the TSH is good and the T4 is good, they may not have a thyroid problem, they have a conversion problem. And that's often overlooked in Western medicine. So when we look at the ratio between T4 and T3 and we see that the T3 is high, that person can be experiencing hyperthyroid situations. So we want to be looking at, do they have palpitations? They have rapid heart rate. Are they losing a lot of weight? Which most people don't complain about, by the way, but those are harder situations to deal with than gaining weight. So we've got TSH, T4, total and free. We've got T3. Total total is optional, but T-free is very important. Other things that we should be testing to get a complete picture are antibodies. We want to look at the antithyroglobulin antibody, and we want to look at the TPO antibody. If we're suspicious of hyperthyroid, we also want to look at the TSI, thyroid-stimulating immunoglobin. A lot of medical doctors who are trained allopathically say, well, why should I test the antibodies? There's nothing I would do differently. If they have antibodies and they have low T4 and elevated TSH, I'm just going to give them thyroid hormone, usually T4 synthetic, not the whole component. So 
why would I bother? Well, the problem is in allopathic medicine, we don't have a way to deal with autoimmune problems. They deal with symptoms of autoimmune problems, but they don't have a lot of the tools that we have as functional practitioners to help with calming down the autoimmune issue. So why would they test for it, right? Why waste the person's money? Why waste the insurance company's money? The other tests that can be done, I don't do very often, are thyroid binding globulin. That's the protein that carries the total amount of the hormone around in the bloodstream. I usually can guess at what that is. Sometimes we may have to run it. It's not one that I run all the time. And then reverse T3. That's another one. If we're working with someone and their total T3 is very low or their free T3 is very low, actually, then I can kind of guess what the reverse T3 is. But if if we're not getting the results that we expect, then we can run reverse T3. It's a much more expensive test, but it can give us a lot of good information. So that's the tests that help to identify thyroid function. So what other tests can we do? Well, we know that iodine is super important for making thyroid hormone, right? T3 has three iodines combined with the tyrosine. T4 is four iodines. So why can iodine not be important? So yes, it's true that there have been some studies that show that too much iodine can create more of an autoimmune attack. But with too little iodine, we can't make enough thyroid hormone. So what I like to do when I'm suspicious about iodine is I like to do a thyroid load test. So what's a thyroid load test? Well, it's a test where we stop consuming iodine-containing foods and iodine supplementation for 24 to 48 hours before the test, and then we test the urine. We're going to do a load. So we discard the first morning urine. We take a load of 50 milligrams of iodine, usually in the form of iodorol. And then we start collection of the urine following the instructions that the lab gives. One of the labs, which I like, we'll put that in the notes as a reference, is Hakala Labs, H-A-K-A-L-A, because they send the person the iodorol. In other labs, you have to use the iodorol, but then you have to go to the store and buy the iodorol. So it adds to the test. So I like to use Hakala. Plus, it's a lab that people can order directly, whereas some of the other labs that do it, you have to have a practitioner order it. So they start the collection following the load, and every time they pee, they have to collect it, and then they get the first morning urine of the next day, and then they stop collecting. Then they shake it all up because you're using a big container and then take a sample. They give you a little vial to put it in and send it off to the lab. So why is that an important test? When the results come back, we can see what are the iodine levels at the start, right? So there's two ways to do the iodine load test. You can just do the sampling after the iodine load. But what I like to do is also test a sample before. So you take a spot sample before and you know what the baseline iodine is. And then what we're looking at is how much does it change over the 24 hours? What is that number that is being excreted? And in a person who has healthy iodine status, we should be secreting 90% of that 50 milligrams of iodine that we take. So it should be about 45 milligrams of that should be excreted. If they're holding on to more of that and we're not excreting it, then we get the idea that this person is deficient. 
Personally, when I do this test, I also like to do the halides. I like to do the bromine and the fluoride and the chlorine to see if there's interfering factors. This is going to help us give us a functional view of the thyroid, not just the TSH and how the thyroid's working. The other things that I think are important to do are the lipid panel, a total cholesterol, LDL, et cetera, because when someone is hypothyroid, low thyroid function, we're going to see an elevation in the cholesterol. And when I see people who are eating beautifully, they're eating like a low fat, they're not eating a lot of animal products, they should not have high cholesterol and they do, then I either suspect it's a genetic thing, but also I suspect that it's possibly hypothyroid. The other thing I like to test is vitamin D. Vitamin D is super, super important for thyroid receptors and for thyroid function overall. So we'll test their vitamin D and help to optimize that. The other thing I like to check for is cortisol markers. One of my favorite ways to do that is the Dutch test. And I said I would mention this before and I didn't, so I'm going to add it now, is that when we have too much of the thyroid binding globulin that circles around and holds on to the thyroid. So when we see a big difference between free T4 and, and total T4, then we suspect that possibly they have high estrogen. We can ask if they're on birth control pills, ask if they're taking bioidentical estrogen supplementation. These are things that are super important to test for. So I like the Dutch test. The reason I like it is because it tests the cortisol levels and it also tests the sex hormones. Plus it tests a few other nutritional markers via organic acids. On the Dutch test, if we see uh, certain patterns, we can suspect abnormal thyroid function. For example, if they have high free cortisone and high free cortisol, and low or normal metabolites, which are the excreted aspects of those hormones, then it could be sluggish metabolism and sluggish clearance, which could indicate a hypothyroid state. It could also indicate poor liver function, by the way. If they have normal or high metabolites, that means it's elevated clearance. So it could be obesity, but also it could be hyperthyroid, and we need to look at that. The other way to get an indication of cortisol, which I don't like as much, is testing cortisol in the blood. Because unless you're testing the cortisol throughout the day, because it has a diurnal rhythm, a circadian rhythm, then you are not getting an accurate result. So you, we could test it in serum, but there are other indirect markers, functional markers that could suggest that the cortisol is out of balance. Low sodium, high potassium, low sodium potassium ratio, low or normal glucose, along with lower normal bicarbonate, increased lymphocytes, and increased eosinophils. Now, you don't have to have all of them, but if there's a combination of some of these, you might suspect the cortisol's out of balance. The other thing, we mentioned inflammation in our first episode in the thyroid series. We mentioned that the inflammation is part of the problem with thyroid function. It could be a problem in the cells, the cytokines that inflame the cells and make the receptors and the transporters not work properly, and also the thyroid itself and autoimmunity. So we want to do a good inflammation panel. So I like to do highly sensitive C-reactive protein, 
I also like to look at homocysteine and homocysteine when it's elevated can affect the thyroid receptors negatively. So we want to look at homocysteine. I also like to look at some of the markers for glucose metabolism, not just fasting glucose, which is done on all the tests, but really insulin because insulin can affect thyroid receptivity. Insulin and hemoglobin A1C that gives you an idea of how well controlled the blood sugar is. As you can see, Testing can identify lots of imbalances that can contribute to the cell danger response, can contribute to the stress on the cells that's going to make them, even in the presence of normal amounts of thyroid hormone and a normally functioning gland, show symptoms. And this is what's so often sadly overlooked in conventional medicine because oh, you don't have a high TSH, you don't have a low T4, you're fine. Let's just give you Prozac for your depression and a laxative for your constipation and put on some lotion on your dry skin. It's a bad approach. It's a dangerous approach because we're missing the real keys here. We need to have good thyroid function to keep the cholesterol in balance. And it's just not appropriate when we ignore these symptoms. So in future episodes, I'm going to look at hyperthyroidism. We're going to look at the foods and the herbs and the nutrients that are important for good thyroid function. So once you've assessed that this person has intracellular thyroid problem or an actual glandular problem, you're going to know what you can do to help support this person to get well. So go ahead and access the free guide that we put together at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash thyroid. And you'll get a list of some of the medications and some of the foods and herbs and things that will help to support you in supporting your client and empowering them to make the changes in their diet and lifestyle that will ensure that their thyroid works appropriately. Always remember, you have the power to educate, inspire, and empower people to make changes to their lifestyle, to educate them about how their dietary choices, their choices of skincare products, home care products, their exposure to toxins, their stress levels, how all of these things impact their thyroid function and what they can do to change that so that they can actually restore proper thyroid function. So study, learn, and always be a resource for people who seek your help. If you want to go into more depth on some of these trainings, go to www.ine, I-N-E, stands for Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology, inemethod.com, and learn about how you can become part of the movement to totally reinvent this broken medical system. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.